Hello, this is Coach Aaron Saft and the MR Running Pains Podcast. Today, I have Martin Schneekloth with me. Um, Martin just recently completed the Tahoe 200 and the Bob Graham Round. Now, for those of you that don't know what the Bob Graham Round is, we will be talking extensively about it later in our conversation. Um, I selfishly had a lot of questions about uh, Martin's experience. He's done Moab 240 as well as the Tahoe 200. So um, kind of wanted to get his takes and ideas um, you know, and, and learning and takeaways from, uh, from his 200 milers as Bigfoot um, is about two weeks away, which I am super excited for and I will talk about later in this episode. Uh, also, just a quick reminder, newsletter will be coming out um, uh, the 1st of August. So if you haven't subscribed, hop over to my website, webpage, mrrunningpains.com and subscribe. It is free. comes out once a month. Tons of training tips, reviews, suggestions, all that kind of stuff in the newsletter. So uh, go ahead and subscribe and um, I will catch up with you guys after my interview here with Martin. Oh, I was just saying to Martin, I'm so excited for this conversation. Uh, so Martin, Mr. Schneekloth, how are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself? <laughs> well, I am doing well. I, you know, I, I can't wait to talk to you about everything. Um, you have done so much. So uh, just give us a little background on you. Okay. Um, we'll focus on running, I guess. Um, <laughs> I've been uh, started ultra running about 12 years ago. Um, just kind of tumbled into it. Like most people stumbled into it by someone asking me at the starting line of a local 10k what if I was training for anything bigger and mentioned the marathon and they were like oh you should do the dizzy 50s which is a local 50k and I had no idea what that was and they explained it to me and I started training with them for trail runs and did my first 50k said never again and uh, nearly 150 ultras later, <laughs> here we are. So that's kind of it in a in a nutshell, I guess, as it pertains to my running. Yeah, right on. Well, uh, I mean, gosh, 150 ultras, and you've done some some awesome things. Uh, the Grand Slam, uh, for one. Uh, I think if I'm memory serving me correctly, I know mm-hmm. you had Western, um, Arkansas Traveler, mm-hmm. uh, Leadville, mm-hmm. and. Uh, was it Wasatch right yeah you're you're missing a couple because what I actually did that year is what they call you can look it up it's very obscure hard to find but it's called the last great race of ultra running and it's running the last the six oldest hundred milers in the U.S. okay so you did Old Dominion Dominion and Angeles Crest oh wow yeah all in the span of those I think it was 14 weeks oh my gosh that's incredible oh that's incredible um you have done utmb correct three times yes three times (laughs) yeah have you done any of the other distances over there i have not i'm i'm kind of a sucker for the the queen event i guess or (laughs) king event whatever you want to call it whenever there's a race overseas i try to do the big one because i never know if i get another chance to go out there but to be honest after three finishes i think ccc looks attractive to me actually ptl looks really cool yeah um i would love to do that with a friend or two and then maybe just do you know do the tour de mont blanc you know hot to hot over five days and actually just take it all in yeah daytime right get to see some stuff yeah (laughs) that's great oh man um hard rock or no 
uh been trying for seven years i'll seven be years. trying for eight nine ten years so however long it's going to take me yeah. <laughs> that's fair that's fair um before we started recording you had said that um you had you had attempted the bigfoot um mm -hmm. you know of, of course that's coming up here in two weeks for me so um what what you said it was hot so th yeah. that that's what came into play was the heat yeah. And I, yeah, that was my Achilles heel. My feet ended up getting destroyed 50 kilometers into the race. Uh, I mean, I say destroyed. It started with a hot spot, turned into a blister um, and not a good, you know, bottom of the feet. And um, I ended up running out of the 50k station, feeling kind of refreshed, feet taped up. That lasted about 10 miles. And then it turned into a um, bit of a death march for until mile 70, I think it's mile 72, through the night, tried to take a tail, uh, trail nap, that didn't work, and it was just not a good day, I mean, you just, mm -hmm. you know, it was one of those, I just walked into the aid station, I was supposed to be there at night, take my first nap, and I get there at nine in the morning, I think, and um, just not in a good place, and just pulled the plaque, it just wasn't going to, I didn't see it getting any better after walking sure. for 40 miles, you know, it just was yeah. not, was not, not my day it was hot it was triple digits and early on you're pretty exposed on the lava rock type surface which is fun and cool to experience but my feet just didn't like it too much you know the heat you get get a bit of that swamp trench foot type thing with the sweating and um some people deal better with it than others and on that day i just didn't do well with it hmm. you think there was anything you could have done yeah yeah, I think my hydration, you know, I made sure I drank every creek. I mean, I was drinking so much, but I, I, I was too lazy with the electrolytes on those sections, right? It was easier to just scoop the water up, put the filter on and drink. And I should have taken the time to, you know, swap the water into a different bottle and put electrolytes in there. And I think I ended up, you know, with a, too much water, and not enough electrolytes. So I think that kind of imbalance definitely uh, contributed to my foot problems. Okay. And um, was there any type of, would you have done anything differently with your socks or your, your footwear? Was there anything there? Um, you know, that's always, um, I've lately, I've been having very little problems. There's a couple of problems, spots I always have, but I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty stuck on using uh, Merino wool socks, um, running socks. Um, I'm lucky that I get a bit of a deal with CP socks. I love their product. I've had there's a medical history behind that as well with the compression socks that, you know, since 2014, I kind of have to wear them when I travel long distances and um, shoes, you know, uh, I've had used to have Morton's Neuroma really bad and switched to Ultras almost 10 years ago. And um, so honestly, it's, you know, I've gone through every model there even prior to, and I've had fewer problems now than, than ever before, but, when it when you get a couple of these factors external environmental factors you know be it consistently wet feet or um you know a lot of heat friction i mean it's always if you know nutrition plays a role like we said you know hydration it's really tough i mean it's yes. I've, I've got a pretty you know i'm pretty regimented as it comes to salt intake electrolyte intake nutrition fluids and all that i mean very regimented but sometimes that's just not enough, you know, when, when it's 10 or 20 degrees hotter or cooler or whatever, or more, more vertical or more exposure. It just, that's the biggest gamble, honestly. I mean, as you know, you know, when you've done these a few times, really fitness is such a small part 
of the overall equation. I know that's hard for people to believe sometimes, but it really is all between the ears and 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 logistics and and everything else that that you just cannot control and you have to deal with it in the moment. Right, right. Um, so after after Bigfoot, um, you have just you just completed Tahoe two hundred. Were there any two hundreds in between the two? Yes. Um, because, um, I certainly had to get that monkey off my back. This was, you know, this was Bigfoot last year. So, Ta uh, sorry, Moab 240 okay. was on my calendar and the motivation was great to, uh, finish a 200 before the year was over. And that was going to be my last chance. I mean, you know, you don't run that many 200s in a year, at least I yeah. don't, uh, or attempt to run them. So <laughs> I went out to Moab and, um, got to finish it but it was very similar to my first 100 mile finish it was a struggle you know uh, felt great early on struggled struggled a little too early kind of got through it made the point of just you know as in a hundred miler eight station to eight station and just keep moving um trying and and keep moving and i did and i think i ended up I think it was 92 hours. Um, I just beat the crazy snowstorm and rainstorm, rainstorm that rolled in. So that was a bit of motivation there for the last 20 miles <laughs> to keep my ass moving to make sure I don't get caught in that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I always like to kind of just hear and, and and share just so other people understand like what what were the struggles early on and what do you attribute those to? Yeah, I, I started too fast. You know, okay. I, I came out it's the stupid competitiveness that, you know, you think you have under control. And then somebody says on the side of the trail, top 10. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> and uh, I'm not joking. Right. So that literally happened to me. I don't know how far in we were clearly not far enough for it to matter. <laughs> right. But that, you know, you don't, yep. you just hear that. You're like, well, I guess I better stop, you know, performing. Right. <laughs> so um Crushed the first 50 miles <laughs> in a in a pretty good 100 miler split, which is not what you want in a 240 mile race. And started to struggle a bit, you know, with those 200 milers, the distances between eight stations and water stops are rather far apart. I mean, you you run a full marathon in between sometimes, right? Sure. So um, I, I wasn't bonking per se. I think it was more of a, well, maybe it was a bit of bonking, a bit of mental, just, you know, depleted and started wondering while I was out there, why I was out there, why I was doing this. And I didn't really have to do this. You know, I paid for it. I can do whatever <laughs> I want. Um, had these conversations, you know, making up excuses already. If people tried to convince me at the aid station to keep going and, and spent about three or four hours doing that. And I got to aid station 60 something, I think not sure um i was going to sleep there anyway so kind of rolled in the aid station didn't hand in my chip just kind of made it clear that i may not continue on just kind of sat down just kind of knew not to pull the plug too early i was so far i think i had a day and a half in front it wasn't a cutoff thing or anything it was just mentally i just didn't want to be there in that moment Took a nap for a couple of hours, sat by the fire, and I, I keep rethinking that moment. I would have loved to have a time-lapse camera there because you saw people coming in and leaving and coming in and leaving, and here I am still sitting there not moving. It's like, is he dead? You know, what is he doing? Um, but um, after about six hours, I finally said, you know, screw this. 
let's just, you know, tape up the feed, you know, get some more nutrition in me and, and just get out there. And, you know, did some, just, it was um, the usual hotspots at the bottom of your feet, um, taped it up and grabbed another guy. It was, I think three or four in the morning. And I said, all right, how are you feeling? He wasn't feeling that great. I said, all right, let's just march out of here together to the next aid station and see. And I kept doing that and um, started feeling better. Um, never felt great, but started feeling better and had a, had an amazing time and finished the thing. Ultimately um, had friends show up at mile 150 and they crewed and paced me for the last 90 miles, which was very unexpected um, yeah. and very cool gesture. And uh, shout out to Jay Hagen for doing that and Brian Braniak. Uh, they had run the aid station at mile 50 and then had told me, hey, if you're still out there um, at mile 150 or wherever, we'll, we'll try to jump in there and help you. Uh, and they awesome. certainly did. They stepped up. Yeah, that's what you got to love about the ultra and trail running yeah. community. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, what uh, what shoes did you go with for Um Oh man, I it had to be one or two. I think I I the Mont Blanc hadn't come. Had it? Had, was the Mont Blanc yeah, I don't already? think the Mont Blanc was out yet. No, I think I was doing Olympus, and okay. yeah, it was Olympus. And then I actually at mile eighty or hundred, I sized up somewhere in there, sized up half a size, and stuck with that for the remaining hundred and forty miles, whatever it was, and no issues. I mean, literally just had a couple of hotspots early on and that's all it was. And yeah. super stoked about that. Um, you know, you, I've seen some bad feet. I've not had serious foot issues um, like that, that were debilitating. I'm always amazed when I see people and their skin flops off the bottom of their feet and yeah. they, you know, oh. they keep going and finishing. It's, it's mind boggling yeah. to me. Oh, it's, you know, uh, I always tell myself, you know, you got it easy. You got a couple of hotspots. Who cares? You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking for somewhere just to write a note down. Um, yeah. And I hadn't thought about a, uh, a half size up. <laughs> yeah. 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 But so. to be honest, I did it there um, and it made sense and it worked out great. Um, the terrain is not very technical. So, really, you know, being clamped down in your shoe wasn't a factor. It was more about comfort, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, I, it worked great for that for sure never felt like my feet were, you know, uh, sliding around or anything. So it worked well. I did sock changes um, pretty frequently for that one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. So, um, but yeah, it was mental, mental game early on. And then honestly, I, I, I don't want to say smooth sailing. And, you know, we had freezing temps on some of the mountain, you know, at, at yeah. the higher locations and, and you just got to be ready for that. Have the right gear. I always like if you spent, you know, whatever, over a thousand dollars on a race, yeah. don't skimp on your rain jacket. Don't skimp on your, you know, your right. warm layers. You're going to regret it. You know? oh, absolutely. Yeah, I know. And that's why I just have a yeah. half size, right? Just yeah. bring it with you. Why not? Yeah. You know, be prepared. Yeah, I think that's, that's a great yeah. idea. I hadn't thought of it. Um, so, okay. We haven't even got to our main conversation <laughs> yet, but <laughs> we're getting there. So yeah, then yeah. you progress, uh, Having just done Tahoe 200, what did you bring into Tahoe 200 that you're like, all right, I'm going to do this differently yeah, and execute yeah, this way? Yeah. So first of all, I wasn't going to waste um, as much time in aid stations trying to sleep. Um, I rolled also my training. So we didn't talk about this, but my training leading into Moab was terrible. I was really training well January through April, um, crushed a couple of hundred Ks, had a really good time. 
try to keep riding that wave and you know that usually ends in disaster and sure enough i rolled my ankle uh, pretty badly oh. two or three times on a, on a weekend in a race a stage race and that stuck with me all the way really through december of last year and finally good old bronco belly showed me a nice taping technique and i've been using that since january and have been avoiding surgery you know ever since and have not rolled my ankle in a debilitating fashion since so but anyway so the training wasn't there so that was an issue you know moab uh, sorry utmb was my training run for moab really in all honesty um to see if i can do the distance and stay in one piece um, yeah. both of those events were pretty slow for me um so my main goal was to be healthy coming into tahoe uh to be well trained have a good foundation and so i started Mountain Mist 50K kind of kicked off my training um, in January. And then um, having done this type of training for big events uh, for so long, I kind of get uh, fed up or tired of the solo long runs. And so I did the next best thing. I signed up for a bunch of 50Ks <laughs> and 50 milers. Um, so between January and May or June, I did probably did 50k every weekend almost so <laughs> i ended up with like i think i did 15 ultras and my excuse was yeah it's just you know long training one so <laughs> um so that was one thing consistency in training yeah. staying healthy um right. dealing figuring out how to deal with my ankle i got that resolved um and then sleep strategy that was the big one for me and i'm sure you'll you know you'll figure that out too my problem is unless i'm in a familiar place i, I just can't go to sleep easily um so at moab i managed to get five or six hours total if i remember correctly um, and my plan for tahoe was you know i drove my van across country and worked so i would drive during the day and work at night and then sleep and then rinse and repeat the next day uh three days across country um to get to lake tahoe did a bit of a family vacation with my wife there. She flew into Reno, you know, beforehand because I knew I wasn't, I was going to be useless after. So, <laughs> um, did, you know, the national parks out there. But anyway, I took the van. And the reason being is I wanted to have that knowledge that there's going to be a space there for me that my, you know, my crew yeah. could use that vehicle and I can go in there, crash and, and move on, you know, be comfortably, right. you know, not be on the ground somewhere on a, on a you know. And the in the tents, having run an aid station there, I, you know, I know, and having run Moab, I know the sleep situation, and I just struggle with that. And um, anyway, so I did that, and then the idea was because you could only see your crew at mile 50, 100, 150, and then you would see them more frequently. But you have 50 mile gaps. So I was like, well, I might as well schedule my sleep around that. So the idea was an hour at 50, an hour at 100, and an hour at 150. Um, which would have given me three hours for a three-day race. And when I say three-day race, 72 hours was my goal for that. I figured, all right, you got one under your belt. You got to shoot for something. Let's shoot for doing it in three days. And sure enough, um, I come into, I mean, not to jump ahead, but I, I come into mile 50 and tried for an hour and a half to sleep and it just wasn't happening until I finally said, F this, you know, um, <laughs> let's go. I'm just wasting time here. And, um, that kind of repeated itself a couple <laughs> more times, um, which led to some interesting overnight, uh, stories on the trail. For sure. <laughs> um, 
let's go back for a second just to your, yeah. your training because uh, I'm sure a bunch of people want to know yeah. um, if you're doing 50Ks each weekend, what, what does in between look like? <laughs> yeah, so to be, you know, and I know that may be hard to believe and people can look at my Strava. I mean, that's nothing hidden <laughs> there, but I, I started what I'm a firm believer now, you know, having turned 50 a year ago in staying healthy and, and trying to do this for longevity. And people find that hard to believe when you run a 50K every weekend that you're interested in longevity. But um, <laughs> I do uh, low heart rate training. You know, some people call it the Maffetone method. Sure. Um, very militant about sticking to below 134. And, you know, in that zone, you know, 10 beats per second kind of situation, 125 to 135. And I do that for about three months, unless I was doing a a race a 50k i try not to get too caught up in that i'll look at the data afterwards but you know i again i told you i have a competitive streak as well and <laughs> once you feel like hey you may be podiuming on this well then you push a little harder and i mean <laughs> i do this for fun right this is not yep. a profession yeah. so sure. if if that's how i'm having fun that's how i'm having fun yeah, yeah. but training was base building low heart rate i did not do you know i used to chase vertical a lot uh, trying to get vertical gain. I didn't do it this year. I think I've only got 200,000 feet this year, 250,000, somewhere like that. But normally I would have really focused on that. And I really just got it through the races that I did this year. And none of them, with the exception of uh, Cruel Jewel 50 miler, none of them are really that massive in, you know, in, the, in the vertical gain department. So sure. yeah, just low heart rate, trying to stay healthy, building that yeah. base, which is what you need for these big events. And then the races, honestly, I did them as long runs. I, I trained through them. I don't, I didn't taper for them. Um, 50K to me is a long run. Um, I do follow a you know, specialized diet and I do attribute my somewhat good recovery to it. It's plant-based and I've been doing that for almost five years now and it works for me. You know, I know everyone has different opinions on that. I think a balanced diet is important. That's what I'm, you know, I'm not cutting fat. I'm not cutting carbs. I'm eating everything except, you know, animal products. So mm -hmm. Got it. that works for me um, and has been working. And until last week, I've barely been sore after events. Last week was a different story, but we'll get to that <laughs> in a little while. So yeah, nutrition, you know, sleep, actually, I will say that's a big one for me. I've been really, you know, sticking to at least seven hours a night. Of course, you know, things happen, but seven to eight hours. And I do watch my resting heart rate and, and how things are going to try to keep an eye on that. If I'm pushing too hard, you know, it was very evident after um, Moab and after Tahoe, I could see how the heart rate was still elevated for about two weeks after the event. And you just tell, you know, heart rate variability didn't look too great. And I keep an eye on that. I, I you know, I started taking it easy on the runs, you know, once I started running again, but um, yeah, eventually it'll normalize. And then you're ready, you know, you're ready to train again or pick up the intensity again. Perfect. Got it. Nice. Well, that's, I mean, thank you for <laughs> giving everybody yeah. a little bit of insight into your, your training. Cause I'm sure they were interested in, and <laughs> once you said I did a 50 K about every weekend, <laughs> which yeah. I will put your, your Strava athlete link in the, the sure. show notes so people can, can check it out and sure. yeah, actually, I'm sure you'll get some questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, back to Tahoe. Um, yeah. You, you got through uh, 50, couldn't sleep, went on to 100. Did you have the same problem at 100? 
Yeah, uh, my wife swears she heard me snoring for about five minutes. So <laughs> I take her by her words. So that tells me I got some sleep, but it felt like I didn't. And so again, same, you know, same situation, hour and a half, you know, frustration. And I had done the mask and the earplugs, but your my mind can't shut down unless I'm exhausted. And my mind just kept listening for noises, listening, you know, you know, the ambient noise around me, even with the earplugs. And again, I was like, screw it, let's just go. It's just not, you know, if you can't sleep, why waste time rolling around? Now, I did look at it as a, at least I was off my feet, which by the way, you will appreciate that as well. That's something I do highly recommend. Okay. Take off your shoes and get your feet off the ground. Okay. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, anything feels like relief and and, and take that time. It's worth it. It just okay. kind of little refresher. Cool. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> So this is mile 100. It's the turnaround. You know, this year there was an out and back. That's right. Yep. And so it was my wife's turn to pace me for the next 20 miles. And she trains. She's done uh, quite a few ultras herself and is currently training for, for a bigger event. So she was ready to go, but she had not done a mountain race, nor had she been with me through the night in an event like this. Um, and now I've tried twice already to sleep and hadn't really gotten any sleep. And here we are about to embark on a, another six hour, you know, overnight math and midnight, you know, the time is all fuzzy, right. It kind of all bleeds in, but yeah. it was definitely all night. We didn't I think when, by the time we rolled into the aid station, it was, uh, daybreak was breaking and people eating breakfast, but those were some rough six hours for her more than me, oh. because <laughs> I, you know, she, she'll describe it better than me, but I was falling asleep while we were walking and she was freaking out. It was, oh. you know, it scared her a little bit. Right. Yeah. So, and then she just kept saying, baby, stay awake, stay awake. Don't go to sleep. Don't go to sleep. <laughs> and literally every minute. Right. I mean, it didn't, because when you're that far gone and, yeah. and just sleep deprived, you don't care. I mean, I was yeah. literally falling asleep on my feet and, um, and I eventually told us that, you know, the worst thing is going to happen. I actually get some sleep when I fall down. You know? <laughs> she didn't like that too much. That did not give her any confidence. Um, so she just kept yelling at me to stay awake. Right. And um, so it had started snowing. And so my plan then was, I said, okay, I got to get some sleep. I can't do it here with the frozen and snow on the ground. So, so we kept going down, descending, and eventually got to a spot where I saw no snow and ice. And I was like, okay, I, I got to try to take a nap. And I told her five minutes, just, you know, you just sit down, just let me try to, you know, I wrap myself up like a burrito in the emergency blanket and um, just kind of half sitting, half laying down on the side of the trail. And I, I know I dozed off because I was dreaming and I woke up and I was like, all right, I'm ready to go. She goes, you've barely been down for like two minutes. I said, that doesn't matter. Like I was in a dream, you know, I was in a dream yeah. state. I was refreshed. I mean, it was literally two minutes. I was like, let's go. That lasted about another hour and then it got bad again. But then finally the sun came up and all was well again. You know, it gives, uh, we rolled into the aid station. I finally took a 20 minute nap had a couple of pancakes and then uh, moved on to the next um, checkpoint. Yeah. And that Did was night really? one. That night, was night one. <laughs> yeah. It got way more interesting <laughs> in night three, uh, two, sorry. Oh my gosh. Did you do anything for caffeine during night one or no? Um, no, no, I, I'm trying to remember now I used some caffeinated drink, um, as part of my nutrition. And so, um, that's usually, I get plenty of caffeine. 
I'm a big coffee drinker and it's funny. I don't like drinking coffee during races. It's mm. just not, yeah. I associate coffee with chilling, reading the <laughs> right. newspaper, watching the news. I don't associate yeah. it with running ultras. <laughs> right. Right. Oh my goodness. So, uh, all right. So take us into the, the second night. How was, yeah, <laughs> I think it was the second night. Yeah. It should have. Yeah. Second night. So, um, I'm trying to remember who picked me up, but it was, I did get some sleep. I think we were at Tahoe City Aid Station. Like I said, it's all a bit of a blur. Sure. I did write it all down, but then, you know, the next adventure awaited. But um, <laughs> it, yeah, I got some sleep there. I want to say about an hour and um, got my next pacer, Brian, who had also helped me at Moab. Um, I was, yeah, I was very spoiled. I had a crew of, you know, uh, five people out there at Tahoe, which was amazing. I think I'm definitely sure they had more fun than I did. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was amazing. It was fantastic. I had someone new running with me, you know, after mile 50, it was always somebody with me. It was absolutely fantastic. You know, I've done plenty of solo ad adventures and events, but something like that is pretty cool to share with other people for sure. Um, if If you have the opportunity, it's fun solo, of course, as well, but you know, this was the first for me to have such a large, you know, crew with me. And it was, it was perfect. That's cool. Um, yeah. So we get out and we leave like, uh, sorry, uh, Tahoe city and uh, start our journey. And as it gets dark, um, I start to get sleepy and, um, I'm trying to remember we're coming up on a, it's, it's a really long section. Of, did we finish at Tahoe city? Never mind where we were. It was the second <laughs> night and it was a long stretch. And I still have not been able to verbalize the hallucinations that I experienced. It was oh that surreal. I tried to describe it to them. They just kind of looked at me like, what? What are you talking about? Um, <laughs> it, it, so that was the hallucinations were next level. I can only now, and I want to preface this. I've never done drugs, LSD, anything like that. But I can only imagine, I can only equate it to that or mushrooms. I, it has to be some kind of psychedelic drug that would have you have the kind of visions that I had. It wasn't just people sitting on the side of the trail. It wasn't, it was just surreal. Um, so that was the easy part. Um, the tough part was the falling asleep on my feet. And um, at one point, you know, I'd heard and 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 what do they call it? Folk, like, um, there was a story passed down to me that an ultra runner at one of those 200 milers had been so sleep deprived. She threw both her trekking poles off the mountain. Oh, geez. Um, yeah. And I thought, how would that happen? And I found out how that happened. Um, <laughs> I fell asleep and somewhere in my dream state, I thought I was holding a stick. And so I tossed uh, one of my trekking poles <laughs> and my pacer was like, what are you doing? So, you know, basically I woke up. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> I threw away a stick and he goes that's your trekking pole and yeah I turned around picked it up um and then from then on it was you know how far how far to the right. aid station right and it was three miles and I I, I couldn't <laughs> we had to talk about it after the race I kept asking I said did I ask you this multiple times he goes yes and I said did you just tell me every single time that it was three miles he goes yes because I had no idea how far it was <laughs> I was like, man, you know, thank God, because I thought that was all imagined as well. You know, <laughs> it was, yeah, absolute insanity. Uh, the sleep deprivation is real. Oh um, I think I ended up sleeping 90 minutes total. Okay. Um, wow. <laughs> I would have liked to get maybe an hour, hour and a half more, 
which would yeah. have put me right to where I wanted to be. But honestly, once day broke, I mean, I was fresh as a daisy, um, especially on the last day. I've had the best final 50K, I, I don't, I think in any race ever. I mean, it was absolutely amazing the way I felt. And I kept thinking, okay, you're going to blow up anytime now, you know, <laughs> and it just, I kept rolling. And uh, yeah, I, that's the very first time I've experienced a true second win. Um, you know how people, you know, you've got your highs and lows, but yep. I've never really had this, oh man, I'm just ready to r run again, you know, yep. and and I did get to experience that at Tahoe 200, and that was very special for sure. Oh, that's cool. So, what did you end up finishing? Um, I missed my time goal by three hours. I did oh, it in 75 awesome. hours. Nice. I was very pleased with that. Yeah. Ended up um, racing. So, that's kind of <laughs> how uh, my pacer and buddy Jay got me motivated. Um, I could have sworn I was in the bottom half somewhere, which it's fine. I was okay with it. I, I wasn't chasing any times, yeah. but do you know how you feel like, yeah, you're moving slow. Yeah. Probably bottom half, you know, not bumping against the cutoffs, but you're not doing fantastic. And when he told me, I think at the time with 50 K to go, he's like, well, you know, you're 24th overall. And there's a couple of runners ahead of you. If you pass them, you can break into the top 20. And I said, well, how far ahead are they? This was at this point now, it's 10 miles to go. And he was like, it's a mile and two miles respectively. I said, there's no way I can do that. He goes, well, if you don't try, you're not going to find out. So, right. so we tried and we managed. It was quite, uh, it was an exciting final uh, <laughs> stretch to the race for sure. It just completed that's the cool. whole, you know, whole experience. Uh, yeah. Put a nice bow on it. It was great. Oh, that's great. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Um, we will talk a little bit more because you said that you, you wrote this stuff down. You have a great blog, uh, ultra kraut. Am I remembering correctly? Yeah, ultra kraut running.com. Yeah. Ultra kraut running.com. I'll put that in the show notes. Cause that is sure. a great resource for folks that, cause you've done almost any race so I can think of. So <laughs> they can go back through your, your website. Yeah. There's a, there's a few race reports out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a few race reports. That's right. Um, so, um, and this is, uh, what I, I've, I've kind of said the story on the podcast, uh, so we can make the connection for folks. Martin is the person that contacted me to let me know that I had won the raffle to get into Western <laughs> States, which Martin was also the person I had just finished Chattanooga 100. And he let me know that I had been drawn in the hard rock lottery. So, um, Martin is my, my good luck charm for <laughs> getting into the, well, somebody the has to have lotteries. the luck. I'm like always the <laughs> bridesmaid, never the bride kind of thing. Oh man. Well, I, it's, I couldn't believe it, dude. Like when you, you messaged me about Western States, I mean, yeah. um, I don't know if you heard me say I was, I called my friend just to say, dude, I, I got in and he was, he was there and he's walking yeah. past, he was walking past Craig Thornley. And I was like, yeah. Oh, well, well tell Craig, thank you. Cause I, you know, I've, I've met Craig yeah, on yeah, yeah. a number of occasions and yeah, uh, Craig picks up the phone and starts talking to me and oh, you know, he's hilarious. telling me about that's what awesome. I got to do. And I'm like, dude, you got a race to put on. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, we'll catch up afterwards. But, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, God, I was there. I was still at the stage when they had just announced so it. Crazy. So I must have missed your buddy just you know, oh, five minutes there. But man, yeah, what a, that was the greatest news <laughs> that, that, that put me on cloud nine, man. So absolutely. Um, so, you know, here we are in the June timeframe, but now we're getting into kind of the meat and potatoes of our uh, discussion here um, of Bob Graham. Um, yeah. So Bob Graham, uh, you just completed it last weekend. Am I correct? Yeah, that's yep. correct. So we yes. are recording this here on the 26th. About uh, a week. 
week post event. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, for those listening, we're, he's mid July completing this. So (laughs) what about maybe four weeks after Tahoe? Yeah. 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 (laughs) So, so, yeah. Uh, let's let, you know, some people, um, may not know exactly what Bob Graham is, what the round yeah. is. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's talk about that at first. Sure. What, you know, c- go ahead and let's just get the basics. What, what is the Bob? Yeah, Graham sure. Round? One of three uh, big rounds as they're called in the, in over in the UK. So you've got the Bob Graham round, the Petty Buckley round, and then the, uh, Ramsey round in Scotland. Um, uh, Scotland, England, and Wales, Wales. I believe. Yep. Yeah. Now the Bob Graham round is in England and it takes place in the Lake District National Park. It's about two hours north of Manchester and I guess about 30 minutes, 45 minutes from the Scottish border, south of Scotland. And basically what it is, is obviously, you know, it's a national park and imagine mountains you know i know that's hard to believe in england that they have (laughs) mountains but they do now they're not you know they're not uh mount mitchell type mountains they're (laughs) about three thousand foot peaks right um that includes the four tallest peaks in england um but when you're coming from sea level that's still pretty intimidating um when you're going up and down those peaks um as you'll find out there's quite a bit of elevation to be had in that area um, and it's beautiful, beautiful area, um, unlike anything I've ever run in, run on. And, you know, I've, as you said, I've been in some interesting places, some strange places. This was a first for me and very unexpectedly, uh, just beautiful. Um, basically, the round started to kind of, the history goes back to the mid 1800s when hikers started trying to cover a certain distance in the Lake District, you know, doing a certain round or course or loop, think of a round as a loop, uh, basically connecting mountains. Um, when they asked me what it, you know, the, the fellows that helped me out were asking if there was something like this in, in the US, I basically told them probably Nolan's 14 is the only thing I could think of because it has all the elements of the Bob Graham round uh, as well with the navigation and, um, and connecting so many peaks in a certain amount of time. Right. Um, anyway, so it started in the mid 1800s and then about a hundred years ago, a little less, I think 1932, Bob Graham, whom the round is named after, um, for his 42nd birthday, so goes the story, decided to try to do 42 peaks within 24 hours. And really that's how the legend, the story and the round was born. And um, it took many, many years for others to actually follow suit. And um, 100 years later, it's become a very, very popular uh, thing to do. It's not a race, Um, it's a solo challenge. There's very old school rules that go with it. Um, so basically the round now, as it stands now, what is known as is you must cover 42 peaks and they're specific peaks, even though there's many more, those particular 42 peaks that Bob Graham covered, you got to do it in less than 24 hours. And in the process, you climb anywhere between 27 and 28,000 feet. In about hundred K, correct? Yes. 66, 65 to 66 miles. Um, some of the hardest 66 miles I've ever done in my life. 
and um, it's uh, almost exclusively off trail. I'd say 95% is off trail. Right, right. Where did you learn about the Bob Graham round? So, <clears throat> oh man, it's, I couldn't, I can't tell you where. I can only tell you many years ago or my early ultra running career. Um, I, it intrigued me. Uh, mm -hmm. It was one of those. No, every time I brought it up to someone here, they're like, what? Never heard of it, right? <laughs> like, but now in Europe, it's a totally different story. Most oh, yeah. of, of course, all the English, you know, even non-runners know the Bob Graham round, which <laughs> I found so interesting, you know, when you were in, in Keswick there in England, you know, how people, what is he doing? Oh, the Bob Graham round. Oh, good on you. You know, I mean, it's just, <laughs> they all just get into it. It's just very well known there. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I heard about it, but... I put it at the bottom of my bucket list because I knew the requirements and I knew the logistics involved and being here in the United States, I just never thought that opportunity would open itself up to me. Um, so I kept it on the bucket uh, list, but honestly, never thought I would get the opportunity to do it. Yeah. Well, it and yeah. And so fast forward to let's fast forward to six years ago, I'm doing my first uh, UTMB and I meet, uh, you know, you suffer together, you know, you become fast friends as is the norm in ultras, you know, especially hundred miles and longer. And I hooked up with about three other runners and one of them was a, an expat Frenchman living in the UK, uh, Ollie. And he, um, we stayed in touch afterwards. We ran about the second 50 miles of, my first UTMB together and finished and stayed in touch. And two and a half years ago, he said he was going to do the Bob Graham round. And I was like, Oh man, that's amazing. You know, that's so awesome. I said, it's on my bucket list, but you know, that's awesome. I'm on to follow along. Right. And he goes, well, why don't you come do it with me? I was like, really? I didn't ask twice. I mean, I said, <laughs> really? When he confirmed, yes, I said, I'm in and um, booked my flight and was ready to go two years ago and then we all know what happened um my flight was canceled that was basically that and then last year we were still not allowed to travel to the uk and he did his round did it in an amazing 21 hours and a few minutes Sweet. Um, and i'm now glad i did not do it with him because <laughs> he would have just destroyed me um but he said, after he did it, he said, if you want to come do it, um, just come on over next year. And that's kind of how it happened. I mean, um, I kind of went by his guidance in regards to the time frame. It, you know, Tahoe 200 was already, obviously already booked for me. He told me mid-July because of the length of the days and the likelihood of, you know, favorable weather. And I said, let's do it. Gives me enough time to recover, you know, and doesn't require me to train. Um, basically rolling into it uh, from the Tahoe 200 and um, it worked, but um, had I wrecked the course beforehand, I probably would have never, I would have just said, no, forget it. I was just kidding. I'm not doing it. <laughs> oh my God. Um, so I, I was telling you before we, uh, um, you know, we, we got this conversation together that in 2008 is where I learned about the Graham round. I went yeah. over and raced three peaks um, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. So um, I was, you know, up up in the Yorkshire Dales, and mm -hmm. it was the world long distance champ that year. And so yeah. we had a US team I got to run and, oh my gosh, like, I was just like, this place is amazing. And we went into, um, I forget what town it was in, in the Lake District, but they had this little bookshop. Mm 
and mm-hmm. I walked in there and I picked up this book, Feet in the Clouds. This is the yes, that's, I read that on the flight. Yes, yeah. it's a so must read. Absolutely, I, I picked it up there. Right, they like you know I I watched well, like what I did was this little bookshop. So you know the 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 clerk is not doing anything. This is, you know, what are you doing? What are you thinking? And you know I said, well, I'm a runner. I just ran you know three peaks. And like, oh, you got to read this book. And they yeah. you know they handed me Feet in the Clouds by uh, Richard Asquith. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I was enthralled. I was just page to page. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And I flew through this book, loved it. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I have to come back and I have to do Bob Graham. Yeah. Um, because that book just, it just, you yeah. know, gave me this. It's fantasy. inspiring. Like, it's oh yeah. yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's such a great book. Um, since, and I'll put some of these in the, uh, the show notes, but I, I just pull some resources. Um, I also picked this one up, a tribute to the round. Mm-hmm. um by peter mcdonald they just came out with this one they weren't yeah. shipping internationally so i i, I wrote the, the author and i was like hey i'd really love a copy like i don't care i'll pay that's awesome and then um steve chilton uh the round this other yeah. book this is a great book a resource as well and then they have a map of the route as well so that, that yeah so the map if you give me your shipping <laughs> address i'll send you the map unless oh, you already have wow. it do you have uh, it i don't have that one uh, which would this be is awesome. the one you want. Okay. This is the one you want. It's Sweet. one. I've got the four lakes, Lake District maps uh-huh. as well. But this one is the Bob Graham round one. I've okay. got an extra one. I'll send oh my it gosh. To you. Oh man, that'd be awesome. So, yeah. like I said, I'll put these books in the show notes for anybody that's interested because it's just such a, especially the feet in the clouds. It just gives you such a great history, not only of the Bob Graham round, but of the history fell of running. fell running, yes. you know, where yes. it came from, where, I mean, the roots of our sport, where it came from, Yeah. Um, you know, just all these classic races and, and what a fell race is. So, um, <laughs> but man, yeah. So, I mean, just amazing. So you, you have this awesome opportunity. Um, tell us about like what has to transpire for you to be able to run the round. Like you said, there's like, yeah. you know, some old school stuff, like you have to make a declaration, yep. right. That you're going to, yep. your intent is to run it. Yeah. Um, it's almost Barkley-esque, but not quite. There's no secret, but you do have to find this old school website. You know, you Google it and you usually come upon it, but you'll recognize very quickly that it's been designed, you know, with uh, minimal tools about 10, 20 years ago. But that's what I love about it. It's got that feel. That's what it's supposed to be. If it was a fancy, flashy new website, it wouldn't make any sense. Um, So basically, so the way I did it is obviously not having any local knowledge. I relied on my friend, Ollie, and he had still had all his materials from his round. And um, he basically suggested the date and he suggested the direction clockwise. And he said, and um, I'll get into why I would never do it the other way. But, okay. Um, and then the time, which was initially 7 p.m., we changed it to 6 p.m. because there are sections, if you hit them at night, there's the risk of dying. And I know that sounds overly dramatic, but um, yeah, that's how they kind of put it to me. Like, yeah, it's uh, too dangerous to do this in the dark. So this is why we started at this time. And this is, you know, based on the time schedule, this is where we expect you to be at these different time frames, So this is how we do it. And so you, you have this information and then you basically um, register your intent with the time, date, uh, direction. It always starts at Mood Hall in Keswick. Uh, it's spelled Keswick, uh, but I learned very quickly. It's said, you, you know, you pronounce it Keswick. So a <laughs> uh, little language lesson there. Um, and starts and finishes at Mutal in Keswick, which is this beautiful little uh, mountain town in the Lake District. Um, and you're starting in the center of town, you start your round and you come back and finish on the same steps of Mutal. And it's 
it's spectacular. It's, it's just a, a, an amazing experience, something I'll never forget. So cool. um, yeah, so you register online, you get an email back from, oh man, I'm trying to remember his name now. I was always going to say Bob. It may be Bob or Bill, but he'll mail you back. He's the registrar for the Bob Graham 24-hour club. He'll tell you, you know, it's confirmed. You're good to go and to follow, you know, to uh, fill out the paperwork afterwards if you're successful. And I believe the the stats on that, uh, I think one out of three rounds is successful, but I'm, I may be off there, but I think that's what they told me. So for every three attempts, one person finishes. Um, so there's lots of people that either, you know, that do a lot of recce out there. They all are fell runners. Um, reccying supporting other runners uh on several legs to learn the course and then also um attempting it potentially and having to attempt it over and over again until they finally do it but then once someone has done it that's usually it they usually don't go for it again unless they're chasing some kind of record that's cool gosh man yeah there's yeah. A, there's a great facebook group as well um the bob graham on facebook um they, you know they they talk about you know all of their recons and um, and, you know, ask questions there. It's a fantastic yeah. group. Um, I'll try to put that one in there, um, on the show notes as well. But, um, so Ollie, uh, is your, 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 oh, go yeah. man. uh, and so did he help recruit? Um, oh God, did yeah. he? <laughs> yes. I mean, we're still, there's still a WhatsApp group, which by the way, that's Europe. It's always WhatsApp, yes, nothing right. else. And, um, <laughs> It's called Ollie's Mates BGR Effort. And uh, they're actually meeting tomorrow as a kind of a celebration. They're going to dial me in uh, as they're having oh. pints of beer and food <laughs> um, to kind of reminisce about the weekend we had. And awesome. um, yeah, he did. He stepped up in a big way. And like I said, um, I'm honored and privileged to have gotten the opportunity because um, without him, this would have never happened for me. I mean, usually unless you have a local that can help you out. Um, you know, uh, the only other American that I know did it because the records aren't, you know, you have to know the name to look yeah, for it. You know, it's right. not a very sophisticated database. Scott Jurek did it right. and he yeah. only beat me by 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think so, he did it with Ricky anyway, Gates, right? I think. Yeah. He, he did. Yeah. Ricky Lightfoot, I think was supporting him. I'm not sure okay. if it was Ricky Gates or Ricky Lightfoot, both of them legendary ultra runners yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, anyway, so, he rallied the troops, um, which is kind of awkward in a sense. It's people that you've never met, you know, sure. that don't know you, that are just giving up their weekend to help you do this crazy thing. You've <laughs> never been on the felds, you know. Yep. Yeah, you have extensive ultra running experience, but not in the felds. And right. uh, yeah, I found out that that's quite a different animal still. Um but yeah, so he he did. He had 15 people lined up. I had no idea that it required that many people. Um, I think I had maybe one or you know one extra here and there on each leg. Um, to them, it's you know they see this as a, as a as an exciting adventure as well and an opportunity for them to see part of the round. Um, so as much as as appreciative as I was, I mean. I could see the sincere appreciation in their faces. I mean, it was uh, it was just a great experience. I, I can't, you know, half of them stuck around for me to finish. I mean, you mind you, these people came, you know, drove two hours. One guy came, I think, from the north of Scotland. At least wow. that's where his last post was. Uh, came down there to support. They had twelve-hour shifts the next day. 
literally oh. sleeping for an hour, you know, and then heading to the hospital to, to start wow. their next shift. I mean, these stories, I just heard this in passing as I'm running and they're chatting, right? Because I'm just trying to hang on for dear life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, I'm so thankful. Um, I, I, like I said, I'm not sure if I'll ever be able to fully thank all of them, but my hope is that I'll get to go back there and actually help someone else um, during their attempt. That's really my, that's the only, the best way I can think of giving yeah. back. And um, I, I fully intend to do that in the future. That's so cool. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, so many things here. <laughs> yeah. Um, you've got this 24 hour cutoff, right? That's your, yeah. you got it. You got yeah. to get it under 24 hours. So, did you have like a timetable set up? Did they have yes. that set up? Yes. Uh, so, like- there's, and of course, the listeners won't see this, but I've got this. It's this BGR schedule. I'll share that with you as well, okay. just for fun. Yeah, um, because I'm German, I laminated it so we could, you know, write <laughs> on it and take notes on it. But nice. um, he, Ollie, basically provided this, and it's got every leg. You know, it's five okay. legs. The yep. the loop is broken down into five legs because you have supply spots where a crew can meet you at a road crossing or in a town before you go up the next mountain. Yep, and um, it's literally the estimated time is broken down to the minute. So you've got 81 minutes to the first peak, 43 to the next, 67, and so on. It's all in minute detail. Wow. And even the map has that uh, the, the goal is usually a 23-hour schedule Okay. Uh, because it does not take – it's purely moving time. And then you have to, of course, about an hour to do what you need to do at your transfer mm-hmm. spots, your aid yeah. stations, if you will. Yep. Yeah. And so it's broken down uh, even on the map. You'll see it when I send it to you. Cool. Uh, it's pretty neat. Oh, that's awesome. um, and then basically, yeah, he had the spreadsheet. It's literally two pages. You know, it's 42 peaks. Takes a lot of paper. Oh, yeah. Um, and basically putting down daylight, you know, how long we expect each leg to take and what time I'm expected, because this is also important for communicating to your support crew when they need to be there to meet you, the navigators, the pacers, the mules, which is a nice thing about the Bob Graham round. Muling is encouraged. <laughs> um, define uh, that just so you know those that aren't familiar yeah. with that term so i didn't realize this and i i wore a vest for the first half but um it got really hot and i basically you know one of my pacers carried the vest the rest of the way in fact most runners there was one gentleman that started about a half a minute in front of me i just kind of waited and let them go because i knew what his time goal was um he didn't carry anything no water no nothing just you know just running kit and and went and then the pacers will carry all the supplies and they will give you everything and i mean when i say everything i sucked down the water and liquids from three of my pacers on the second to last lap and the last lap because there was no resupply spot i was super thirsty it got pretty hot on the on the fourth leg and um, I mean, they were giving me the fluids off their backs, literally just, you know, they're yeah. like, well, we don't have, you know, we haven't been running for 22 hours. So <laughs> here you go kind of thing, you know? Yeah. yeah so that's, that's allowed. Um, I ended up using trekking poles. They're not frowned upon per se, but the opinions differ. It's just like everything else, you know, like trekking poles. Some people are fans of them. Some are not. Um, the terrain was so technical early on, it made no sense. You don't want trekking poles and bog. It's just not going to help you. It's right. just going to have two, you know, two more points of contact that can sink into the, 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 the peat or the bog or the brag. I mean, all these different words they have for the type of terrain you step into and sink into. But um, yeah, so 
that that's kind of the logistics it's very like to the minute mapped out that's i had true. no stop i had one stop that was longer than 10 minutes because it was um after the night leg and i needed to uh take care of a hot spot um but other than that 10 minutes i mean i i had to use the toilet on this after the second night and they were timing me outside like, <laughs> All right, how's it looking in there <laughs> let's go um so yeah so um manage that um great crew always upbeat no matter what state i was in um met some great people and looking forward again it's just you know the ultra running community is, is a big family and it's funny because i i finished it with i consider all of them you know my trail family now and and uh the most experienced guy out there ed he goes uh correction you mean fell family I, was like, oh, <laughs> I wasn't going to be presumptuous so thanks very much <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome yeah. so, um talk about you had mentioned earlier that you were doing it in the clockwise direction and you said you'll yeah. explain why why don't you go ahead and talk about that <laughs> um i have not written my race report yet there is a couple of photos that i posted on instagram and facebook that'll show a particular section that's called lord's rake and it is this ridiculously steep shoot um, that goes straight up uh, on scree and boulders. And you actually have to pick your line. It's definitely four point contact, no matter what state you're in. Um, and you cannot follow the same line as the runner in front of your climber at that point because of the risk of rockfall. And so you're scrambling up this. And I literally asked, because there was two peaks where it's an out and back. And I asked the navigator, I said, this is not an out and back, right? He goes, no, it's not. I was like, thank God. I said, because you would have had to get a helicopter to get me off of that. It was insane. <laughs> so that's why I would never do the counterclockwise because that one section, it looks horrendous. I mean, it's amazing once you've done it, but when you're looking at it, and then you hear him say, oh, that's the easy part. The approach is a dangerous part, you know, and there's like nothing on your right side oh. as you're scrambling down this, like, got to imagine like a horseshoe, you're coming down one side and going up the other, like a roller coaster, yep. um, but you're on a, on a mountain and um, <laughs> trying not to fall off that mountain. That's yeah. right. That's, that sounds like the fills. Yep. That's, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. We ran up Wernside and um, there was, like usually you know, they don't mark a fell race, but since this right. championship event, they marked it. They took literally a ribbon and ran it straight up the mountain. No switchbacks or anything, just straight up yep. this mountain, you know? Yep. And like you said, all four points of contact, your nose yep. is in the ground, just like yep. you know, hoofing it, just trying to yep. get up. It's, it's, it's a totally different type of running. And like you said, it, the terrain, like, I mean, why don't you just talk about the, the bombs? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. So sure. <laughs> I'll try to, so first impressions, and then you don't you don't get a lot of um, you don't cover a lot of peaks on the first leg. It's uh, very challenging, but you just don't get to check off a lot of peaks. Sure. Um, so we climb the first mountain. I think it's Skidaw is what it's called. I always mispronounce them. And yep. you see it from from Keswick. You know that's the first peak you get to, and it's a slow grind. And you you know initially I'm I'm right off the bat. I'm you know pacing myself i'm not running any ups um of course everybody's on adrenaline ex except me who's thinking i gotta do this for 24 hours so <laughs> let's you know hold your horses um had some great conversations obviously super stoked and excited to to be doing this and then we come down our first descent and i'm not sure if it's skid all right after but 
oh my God, I, I get to the bottom of this and I'm, I'm not saying it out loud. I'm thinking to myself, how the hell am I going to do this for another 23 hours? Right. My quads were already shot. Like oh, yeah. I kept telling myself, oh, you're just sore from Tahoe. <laughs> your legs are just warming up. That's your quads just getting warmed up. They're not in pain. It's just the muscles getting loose, which was total nonsense. I mean, yeah. they were already like yep. hurting. We did Skidaw and Three Peaks. Yeah, that was, that yeah. was one of the peaks. So I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. And and I every single mountain except stretches where you would just kind of hit the the little um, the bumps, you know, where you would be able to not descend all the way down, but basically check off a couple in, in a short stretch. Um, it was straight up and straight down. And I I, I asked, I was like, why? Why can't we just use a trail for once? And the <laughs> argument was people have tried it and they've lost time. Ah. Straight line is the only way to do it. <laughs> and um, and every time we would descend, it was just, I, I literally, I looked at him like, we're not going down this, are we? Yeah, yeah. Just oh, follow him straight down. And I, I mean, <laughs> I can't even, I can't describe the the ridiculousness of it because they are bounding down this, trying to slow down. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to break something on the way down here. Right. And this is, I'm going to have 39 more opportunities to break something on the way down. Right. And that's the only thing you're thinking about. And, and you're, you're running no trails. Or if there is trails, they're so narrow that you don't, and, and overgrown that you don't know what you're stepping on. Right. The grassy, bits they're not grass like oh this is nice manicured it's just bushels <laughs> of grass and you eat lumps you know yeah. and you're just kind of like okay hopefully i don't step on a rock um and so steep like I, making up time on a descent like was laughable i i, I literally was like this is not faster <laughs> and we got to the point where there was one section that was a scree descent and he goes trust me just go down the scree, try to surf the scree because it's faster than going down on the, the grassy bit over there, which is what we've been doing. But here there was this shoot straight down. I, I mean, my legs were shot. This was leg four. I was like, well, screw it. If he says it's easier and faster, why not? <laughs> and uh, there's a video that I'll try to at some point post that uh, Pacer behind me took. Uh, he took a tumble. I did not. I was pretty proud of myself. But um basically just surfing down these big, you know, this, uh, it was a mixture of scree and rock. It wasn't true scree. It was more rocks. And then they were of varying sizes. So uh, yeah, it, um, interesting. <laughs> the terrain you deal with and you've been there, the bog oh. again, I, I was so thankful I had pacers. <laughs> There's one guy navigator on one leg. I think it was leg two or three. He, he and uh, another uh, pacer, took a step and were gone to the waist. Yeah. I mean, just gone, Whoop, yeah, yeah. gone. I was like, I stopped. I looked oh, around. Man. I said, okay, I'm not going that way. Thanks guys. <laughs> and I just kind of tried to tiptoe around, which for the most part, it was the driest ever. I mean, the drought is real everywhere. It's not yeah. just in the US. Um, so I was thankful for that. But the third leg, I was wet the entire time. It was boggy. Um, and then we got a bit of a mist of rain um, thank God, you know, the, thank goodness the temperatures didn't drop too much. Um, I never needed, you know, full waterproof gear. I just used kind of my favorite Houdini windbreaker to kind of block the rain a little bit. 
Um, but yeah, I, I, again, seven hours of that and my feet had turned into kind of trench foot. So yeah. that's when I took the longer break to let them just breathe for about 10, 15 minutes before I put everything back on. Um, yeah, it's uh, insanity. I mean, I, I, I tried to share some photos and tried, unless I show it and point at it, oh. it looks flat, right? Yeah. You just can't. It's hard to do it justice. Yeah. Yeah. It's impossible. Yeah. I sucked one of my shoes completely off, you know, like I just yep. was in the running motion and all of a sudden I was not, I was, yep. <laughs> and I was just like, I looked down and, you know, yep. the guys next to me are laughing, you know, cause I had to go back oh, and yeah. dig down, you know, get my arm up past yeah. my elbow in the mud. Fine. You're lucky you found out. your shoe. Yeah. I was, I was super lucky. I found my shoe and, oh God, this was, uh, you know, at the time of the foot and mouth too. So when I was coming back through the U S they're like, did you bring any mud back with you? <laughs> I was like, Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh boy. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it is indescribable. Uh, you know, and like you said, um, we're used to, you know, like here we, we know the, yeah. like going up down mountains, you know, okay. But there it's, it's steep and it's just yeah. hard. Like, I mean, it's, it's punishing. It's it punishing. I, I can't describe it any other way. And, and people, and I still, even a week removed or eight days removed, I'm still saying it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah. And um, the time of course plays a big factor, right? I mean, if I was out there, you know, for a little jaunt and no time pressure, that's one thing, but right. the clock, definitely added to the challenge i mean it's yeah. it's a key part of the challenge right but yeah it's it's punishing terrain that's no other yeah. way to describe it yeah. um amazing terrain i mean some of the views i, I was just blown away it's just yeah. spectacular you get these 360 views right. all the time yeah. which is there's beautiful. no trees there's no there's and no <laughs> and, and that's the other thing too i mean you go <laughs> there's some you know every time it would get me he'd go i tap it summit and ollie would go we're going up that one over there. You see that, that rock face. Yeah. We're going straight up that rock face. Right? And you're looking at it and you're like, that's not, like, that's not even possible. Right. It's just, and sure enough, you know, we go, he said, yep, we did it. And you know, you tap the next summit and you're just like, Oh my gosh, how many more? 20. Oh my God. You know, it's just, yeah, it's just uh, uh, absolutely amazing. And what do they, uh, what do they accept as recording a summit? Like, you know, you have to tap it. Uh, and you have to have a witness. So that's the piece. Okay. Yeah, here we go. Let me, yeah, let me. So in order to do the round, you can use GPS watches, of course, if you want to. But um, really, I use mine just to record. I didn't load up any course. Sure. Um, it is highly recommended that you have a navigator for each section. Um, someone that knows the terrain really well in any weather, because that's the biggest challenge. I mean, we, I got super lucky. I had just spectacular weather, but normally that's not the case. And you literally have five, you know, two feet of visibility and every peak looks the same. You don't see the peaks. It's fog, you know, it's windy, it's rainy. Um, navigation is the biggest challenge there. It doesn't matter if you have a GPS watch, it's not going to take you, you know, you can walk off a cliff and not know it. Right. Mm -hmm. So right. navigation is a big piece. Um, you have to have witnesses at each summit. So there needs to be another person, uh, witnessing you tap the summit. So you, you absolutely must physically touch the summit, which is usually a kern or an actual, you know, geological, uh, whatever marker, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, different ways that they identify those peaks. And one, two were totally in the script. And if you don't, 
if you don't know where you are, like you don't even know that's the peak, right? You just got to have someone there that knows and says, okay, this is it. This is what you need to tap. Cool. Um, you don't submit a GPX file. Again, it's very old school. You, it's this giant spreadsheet <laughs> that uh, requests all kinds of information about each leg, each peak, when you submitted it. And I had a little bit of help. Um, they have modernized a little bit. So I was able to share tracking information um, with the folks back home as well as with the crew out there and there's only one section where it wasn't tracking it accurately but um, basically it showed every you know the route it showed every peak and what time I hit it so I could just go through the record afterwards and then transfer cool. it to the spreadsheet I had to note the club members that supported me meaning previous finishers of the Bob Graham round um, how many legs they supported me, what legs, um, people that have never done the round, when they supported me, where, um, very detailed information. They have, you know, just this huge database. Yeah. I was actually asking for access to it, um, but <clears throat> they try not to share too much. So they have a lot of information, but they don't want to make it publicly available necessarily, not, you know, just to everyone just diving into it. But um, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. So very old school spreadsheet, honor system. But, you know, when you go through all that, yeah, I mean, you, you know, to lie <laughs> with all that paperwork involved that, you know, it's kind of silly. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, talk about leg five, uh, you know, kind of yeah. led you through. So talk about leg five. Yeah. So, okay. So just real quick. So leg one, two, I actually was making up time. So I was actually doing well. Um, I was 15 minutes ahead in each leg, feeling great. Um, and then the night leg came and there was some navigational issues. There was some, I rolled my ankle, the navigator rolled his ankle, his daughter rolled her ankle. And um, I wasn't moving as well, even though I wasn't feeling bad. It was just, you know, it was dark, rainy. It's just, it's tough. I mean, that terrain at night is just tough to navigate. Um, so I lost time. I just didn't know how much until they told me. And um, that's when I, when things kind of changed for me mentally, because from being ahead by 30 minutes, I was now back 50 minutes, five zero. And um, I just literally at that point thought, oh my gosh, I don't think I can make this up. There's no way I can make this up. Sure. Um, I made five minutes up on that third leg and then rolled into the fourth leg. Now it got hot, but I had Ollie with me. That's the first, like he's been crewing. And now my buddy was actually pacing me and, uh, cracking the whip, um, but in a, in a positive way, not like me, you know, yelling at him instead, you know, being very encouraging and basically letting me know that this was absolutely still doable because I rolled in there thinking, okay, you need to be honest with me. I don't want to waste people's time. Is there any way in hell I can actually finish this? And um, he basically said, uh, yes, you just got to keep moving. We can't be lollygagging around. You just got to keep moving. And I said, all right, I'll trust you and kept cracking, cranking and um, immediately went up. Uh, it's called U-Barrow, U-Barrow, U-Barrow. And he said it's uh, lovingly called U-Bastard because it's <laughs> uh, such a ridiculously long and steep climb uh, to start leg four. Um, I made up time there, but started puking at the top, which I don't, dry heaving. So I normally don't have stomach issues, but I overheated just trying to, you know, to make up time and um, then paid the price, had to slow down, you know, to recover, yep. um, but eventually found my mojo again and started making up some time, um, get to the fifth and final leg, which is the shortest and quickest. 
I need to look. Yeah, you're supposed to do it in three hours. I did it in 250 something. <laughs> Not a lot of room. Um, but when I when I got there to start the fifth leg, they're like, okay, you just keep moving and you got this, right? And so there's still some peaks to be bagged here. You know, we did, how many did we do in that last one? One, two, three, four, four peaks on the last leg. But then there's a five-ish mile road section. Nobody was sure how long the road section is. And that's kind of an important part of this whole thing because <laughs> we come crashing down the final descent and I say crashing, yeah, I'm exaggerating. I was not crashing anything. I was just hobbling down. And um, we finally level off. We get on a path, eventually get on a road. And now we're 61 miles in and the navigator goes, okay, you know, this was at that point, it was, I think it was Rob. Was it Rob? Yeah, Rob. He goes, all right, uh, five miles to go. I said, okay, cool. We had an hour, 10 minutes. I was like, I, I can do this. I can even walk a little bit, not too much, but a little bit. And so we, we start the road section and then Ollie is actually parked in a car kind of past the gate, like, you know, I, somewhere along the road section. The idea was what a lot of people do is they change into road shoes. And I had packed my carbon ultra, you know, <laughs> carbon, you know, uh, yeah, vanish, uh, vanish carbon shoes. I was like, yeah, <laughs> but I had realized I was like, okay, I can't, I can't mess around with time and changing yeah. shoes and that crap. I was still wearing the Mont Blanc. That's, that was my shoe of choice for that, which we can chat about it for a minute, maybe after. Sure. But, um, I said, forget it. Let's not change shoes. Let's keep going. And, and Ollie's like, yeah, right on. Let's do this. And so I keep moving and I'm feeling good and I'm excited. And, you know, this is happening. And then my pacer gets a call and he goes, um, I said, what? He goes, um, it's three and a half miles still from the blah, blah, blah pub up ahead. I'm like, what do you mean three and a half? We should be down to two and a half now. And where is this pub? <laughs> uh, he could hear in my voice that I was not happy hearing this. And I was getting very <laughs> nervous. And he goes, it's just ahead. I was like, we're in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing just ahead. There's nothing there. <laughs> and we kept going and here's the pub. And basically now I'm being told it's still three and a half miles. And I think I have 25 minutes. Oh my gosh. And I'm just like, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to be this idiot. That's going to do this in 2404 or something like oh that. Gosh. I'm just going to miss it. And they're like, ah, oh, just do your best. You don't want to leave anything out here. I'm like, trust me, I'm not. Um, <laughs> open your stride. I'm like, it's fully open. It's fully open. It's, everything is open. I'm all yeah, out. She's got like that. <laughs> 10 minute miles. I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of pathetic, but you know, it's 24 hours of yeah. that, that mess, you know? Oh, yeah. And um, finally, Ollie sees us. And at this point, which I didn't know, we were a mile and a half out. And I thought it was still two and a half miles out. He goes, we tried to call you guys back. We couldn't get a signal. The doofus behind the wheel, I won't name any names, <laughs> thought he followed the car route and it said three and a half miles, but we go and we're using a pedestrian bridge to get into town. So it's less than that. You can actually walk for a minute. And that's the moment when I realized with a mile and a half to go, I was actually going to make it. Oh my gosh. And it was like a victory lap at that point coming into, this was on a Sunday afternoon, you know, 545. It is so, it was such a funny moment. I need to look at the video footage because like, 
Bob Graham runner coming through everybody in the room. <laughs> it was just, you know, just, they're just being silly and um, absolutely amazing. I had a nice cold beer waiting for me at the top of the stairs when nice. I finally tapped the door, um, struggle, struggling, making it down the stairs after, but um, yeah, I finished in 2352. Oh my goodness. That's so beating cool. the clock by eight minutes. That's so awesome. Oh my God. So, uh, and you had mentioned the, the, the Mont Blanc. Um, yes. So I stuck with that shoe and it, and it, and it worked well, but, and I love my ultras, but I will say this, the U S I, I can't think of any brands in the U S that have actually, and for good reason, have actually created a fell running shoe. <laughs> um, I think I would have preferred to actually wear it would have been nice to have a King MT with the, with a lone peak kind of cushioning, if that makes yeah. sense to you, yeah. Yeah. you know totally. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been the perfect shoe. I think with the Vibram outsole, you know, the, yep. the upper of the King MT, yep. but they were a little bit more cush. I mean, I had a pair of the King MTs, but I didn't take them with me. I just was sure it wasn't going to be enough. Uh, padding under it. I, I'd like if a little guys, bit of cushion. If, yeah. if you guys remember the Ultra King MT is the one he's referring to. It had the Velcro strap and it was a lot more luggy than most yeah. of the Ultra. They were yeah. more like diamond shaped or uh, yeah. triangle shaped. And uh, they, they called them their peak baggers at one point as well. Like they, they designed them, I think, for adventure racers and, and peak bagging type stuff or shorter yeah. stuff. But yeah, I did 50 Ks in them, but I wouldn't have wanted to take them on longer stuff. Right, right. Yeah, the, the, the fell shoes are much different. And that's why we see, you yeah. know, a lot of the innovate models that we may not use here in the US. And yeah. the question, why would we use these? It's because they use them in the fells and they yeah. work really well. <laughs> yeah, I like the foot shape though. I like my space and my oh, shoes. Yeah. And I, you know, we looked at it and I love the lugs they have on some of these European style shoes, but yeah. they're just too, but Narrow. again, it makes sense for that terrain. I just wouldn't want to run in them for, you know, long distances. I hear you. Yes, I hear you. No, I, that's that's awesome though. But congratulations! Oh my God, like what a awesome. <laughs> yeah, especially four weeks after Tahoe 200. That's like you yeah, the blue. That was quite the month for sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh my <laughs> gosh. So, uh, do you have a break or? <laughs> um, I did until last night, and you know, I used to need beers to get trigger happy on ultra sign up, but <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing just a local, you know, H nine. Uh, oh, the marathon. Okay. I'm doing the marathon okay. with my wife there and just to get warmed up because cool. I signed up for, yeah, it's not so smart, but the Kodiak 100 is <laughs> oh my near gosh. my, uh, uh, I, one of my athletes is doing it. Yep. Yeah. So I'm doing that one with no expectations other than to do the round. And then I am tough. That's uh -huh. been on my bucket list and cloud splitter just because oh. it's local ish. I'm doing oh. that. So yeah, that's three hundreds in the next three months. Oh, you know, it's quite conservative, right? Four weeks is reasonable, right? <laughs> um, to be fair, honestly, the reason I did it is my year, my big year is kind of over. Everything else now is icing and I really don't want to train through the summer. So I figured a hundred miler a month with some easy jogging in between will keep my fitness going towards the winter and then i can start training properly again <laughs> that's fantastic martin oh my god uh, so um anything else that we should share on uh you know and you feel free to thank anybody you want to i'm not sure they'll listen to the podcast but yeah so i wish i could even recall all the guys of course the entire crew of the 
stale Harrier uh, running club. Um, that's um, that I got an introduction to their track workouts. And let me tell you, they had a 5K on a Thursday before, you know, when I got there Thursday night. Park run. Five runners. This is 500 runners showed up for 5K. Uh, it's their summer 5K. They do four of them. Uh, and it's the park you know, run, right? Uh, sale is about three miles. The town of Sale, where my buddy Ollie lives, is about three miles from um, Old Trafford. If you're a football fan, like a soccer fan, you know yeah. what I'm talking about. And so they had all these local running clubs come in, and I couldn't have made the top fifty in that <laughs> in that five k, which is pretty depressing when <laughs> when you've done five k's here locally. I mean, just beasts out there. It's just oh, yeah. amazing. Yep, um, amazing to watch. We had a fun time uh, being. I had a fun time being exposed to that. Um, obviously, um, the brands that I've been you know I've been using the Ultra Spire gear and Ultra Shoes CP. Uh, for the socks we had mentioned that earlier um spring energy um big shout out to them and rafael and the crew um at tahoe i did 50 gels no stomach issues and uh i used this similar strategy at the bob graham round you know simple ingredients yep. natural that uh, works for me um when i'm out there working hard i just you know i wish i pack all these snacks and i'm all excited and then i get to it checkpoint and i don't want to eat it I just, <laughs> you know when the engine is running hot my stomach doesn't just doesn't want to process you yeah. know heavy foods favorite flavor um, um uh right now it's uh i was going to say canterbury because that used to be my favorite favorite but it's now awesome sauce awesome sauce yeah, <laughs> yeah. and at night uh, you gotta do the coffee man that's that's the thing to do at night <laughs> nice oh that's great well awesome man uh, so what uh, you know, oh god once again congratulations just awesome stuff it's so fun to catch up and hear all this martin i mean i appreciate it yeah i love talking about it i love talking about it for hours on end so i apologize taking up so much time oh no we got no time limits here i just appreciate your time <laughs> so yeah it's fantastic man um i've got your blog um i will share your strava link yeah uh facebook instagram i'll send those any other ways people can find you reach out to you no that's it honestly just you know if people uh, check out the race reports. I always try to put some photos in there. The goal really is to just hopefully get people out there and see what's out there. You know, don't limit yourself. You know, um, I found that, uh, you know, I found that out this past weekend. Um, I think had I known what to expect, I would have not even tried. So <laughs> don't be afraid to try something new without having seen it or without knowing everything there is to know. Uh, you surprise yourself. Great words of wisdom there. Thanks again, Martin. Hey, thank you. Martin, oh man, what a what a fun conversation. I really just really enjoyed having that conversation with Martin. It was great to catch up with him. I hadn't spoken to Martin in some time. Um, I think the last time I actually got to speak with him was at Hellbender a few years back uh, before COVID. So um, great catching up with him. I love Bob Graham. Uh, like I just love the lore around that, that loop. Um, you know, it's so cool that it's not a race, but it's just this really cool thing that the community comes together to help each other try to accomplish. And I hope to, you know, to get over there myself <clears throat> to, uh, to try to get my own completion of a Bob Graham round. So Martin, I might take you up on that, uh, crewing. <laughs> um, so, um, man, well, you know, just thank you, Martin and congratulations on, you know, on Tahoe 200 and on your completion of the Bob Graham round. What an awesome, awesome stuff. So, um, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Obviously I sure did.
So anyway, um, as I said in the beginning of the episode, uh, newsletter will be coming out August 1st, so make sure you sign up for that uh, to get that in your email uh, as it comes out August 1st. Um, other than that, whew, man, um, you know, COVID, holy crap. Um, I, I just got over COVID. Um, oh man. Yeah. I mean, you could hear it in the, the past few podcasts. It just took it out of me. Um, I think that was the biggest thing was the level of fatigue. Uh, I had never experienced that level of fatigue. Um, you know, I'd, I'd go to get the mail and come in and I would need a nap. I mean, I'm not, you know, exaggerating. It was, it just was, I couldn't believe how much it took out of me. Uh, you know, just really couldn't, couldn't move because I was just so tired. Um, so, uh, you know, missed a week of training, obviously, um, got back to it, uh, Sunday, um, recording here on Wednesday and, uh, last Sunday I did, a, a just a, um, a good mountain run. Um, I ran up the mountains to see this shut in section and, and, you know, added on a few peaks, um, on the way I added in grassy, um, cold knob and the summit of, uh, Mount Pisgah. And then I did a few little, climbs at the end just so I would get over 7,000 feet in just under 20 miles. Uh, it was a great day in the mountains. Uh, it was the first day that the fatigue wasn't, um, you know, really in my body. Um, I, you know, I felt good. I still just took it easy. Uh, didn't want to push it, you know, and, and make myself get sick again. Um, my wife was worried about, you know, like that I would fatigue myself too much because my body wasn't, you know, totally over it. Um, I had tested negative, but you know, the, the residual, um, you know, it, it, I felt like my body was, was, was good. And I, you know, and I was right. I was good to go. Um, had, you know, really good experience, uh, today, Wednesday, once again, um, I, I went over to this neighborhood that I train in. That's just, you know, some really steep hills and climbing and, um, uh, just kind of, uh, you know, ran and I, I felt strong at the end. Uh, you know, the legs are back under me today it was the first day I can say I was a hundred percent. I felt like, you know, me again. Um, so training is going good. I've, you know, like I said, I've got just over two weeks to Bigfoot 200, super excited for it. Um, one way or another, <laughs> I'm going to make it to that finish line. You know, I got a lot riding on trying to get to that finish. So, um, oh man, just really excited for that experience. Can't wait for it. Um, you know, a few updates on the podcast. Uh, I had talked about, um, having, uh, Mike, uh, Fiosa. I'm sorry, Mike. Um, I've, I've literally never heard his last name. It's F-I-O-C-C-A. Uh, I was happen to ha- hoping to have him on the podcast, but some things have popped up for him. Um, he is not able to uh, to come on the podcast at this time, uh, which you know hopefully we'll have him at a future time because he has a great, great story to tell. So um, update there. Uh, I have been talking with my friend uh, and author of Running Flow, Phil Ladder. Uh, we are planning to do a podcast episode uh, and talk about Running Flow, the book, and what you know. How do we find flow in running and in life? So uh, excited for that conversation. Uh, Phil is hysterical. Uh, love you know. Love listening <laughs> to him talk because he's just great. So uh, looking forward to that conversation and that recording. Um, and then you know we'll see what else uh, comes along. Uh, there's, you know, always opportunities, always things happening. I just love hearing from these folks and learning, uh, and taking things away from these conversations. So, um, once again, you know, if you have ideas or things you want to hear about, uh, can be, you know, uh, ideas about training, uh, questions about training or, you know, gear, whatever, uh, just drop me a line. 
Uh, you can reach me through my website, mrrunningpains.com. Uh, you can email me, runningpains at gmail.com. Uh, you can reach me on my socials, direct message me, uh, you know, leave a, a question in Strava. Um, I am Aaron Saft, MR Running Pains on Strava. All of my contacts are in the show notes. I will include all the book resources and everything that we talked about uh, during the podcast in uh, the show notes. So if you're interested in any of those resources, those will be in the uh, the show notes as well. Um, and uh, you know, once again, you know, give uh, give Martin uh, a like on Strava and social medias. Check out his blog; he's got some great race reports. So if, if you're doing a race coming up, you know, it's a great resource because Martin does a really great job of writing race reports and very detailed about things. And you may just pick up some things by uh, by reading it if you have the time to to do so. So thanks again to Martin. Thank you all for listening for being a part of this podcast. Uh, you know, I can't wait till next time. I hope your training goes well. And if you have anything you need, just reach out. And until next time, keep running, my friends.